friend and colleague, Beth Van Story here. And I'm really excited to have her share some of her marketing wisdom. She has a lot of experience and currently is a chief outsider, fractional CMO, and um, has a lot of experience working with different variety of clients. She's seen it all, and I'm excited to have her with us today. So thanks, Beth, for joining me. Oh, happy to be here, Valerie. It was great to get to know you and work with you a bit. So I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about how did you get to uh, what you're doing now? Have you been in the marketing space for a long time? How did you get to the point where you were in this kind of fractional CMO type role? What all is involved in that? Sure. Uh, well, I worked my way up through marketing organizations after getting my MBA from Kellogg and then eventually became a general manager. So I ran some businesses like weather.com and officedepot.com and then worked in some startups in a leadership position and then decided to jump off the fast track a bit and um, have done consulting ever since and really not looked back. And I, I really was a single shingle for quite some time. And I joined Chief Outsiders because... I just wanted to be part of something bigger than just me. And I found it was always hard to try to know everything, keep up with everything, read everything. So now I've got this team of a hundred people and it's great. We're all CMOs. We've all been CMOs at big companies, at little companies. A lot of, of, of the other chief outsiders have also been general managers. So mm -hmm. uh, in my new role as an area managing partner, I help to match make CMOs with CEOs and leaders who hire us. So our clients come in, I'll have an initial call with them and understand what some of their key issues are and I'll help match and bring the right CMO to bear. And I do work as a CMO myself as well on a fractional basis. So it means I'm juggling multiple clients at a time and some can be projects. Sometimes we're just advisors where we have a couple calls a week and work with the internal teams. And sometimes we're working really as a full fractional and that fraction can be as much as a hundred percent. I had one that was a hundred percent, which um, since I had two clients, I think it was 120% then, but oh, wow. come in and really um, focus on making sure we have the right insights. We really understand the customer, the market, the company, the competition, and then work on strategy. Because if your strategy isn't based on insights, it's going to fail. And then the third piece is, is execution. And so we're not just a strategy firm, we actually will stay on and manage the execution. So whether it's managing an internal team, uh, do, rolling up our sleeves, doing the work or bringing other external resources to bear. Um, again, because I have a network of hundred plus CMOs, I have access to a lot of resources, which just makes it, it easy and it shortcuts it for clients. And they know they're getting someone who's trusted that we've used before. Yeah, that's amazing just to have that wealth of resources right at your fingertips to turn to. I mean, we all have our, you know, core network of people, but when you have that group of experts that, you know, is vetted, has the experience and are people that you can trust to work with a different client or to bring in certain expertise, you know, on a one-time thing or a quick question, it, it's really great that you've got that. And that's how we met. Yeah. yeah. And I know I've referred you to other chief outsiders. So yeah, it's, it's great to develop those partnerships and just learn. I learn a lot from the other CMOs as well. We're very, our focus and our mission is to always be a learning organization. So I'm constantly learning new things from them. It's a bunch of smart people. Yeah. Well, everyone I've met in the group has been, I've learned a lot from, so it's, it's been great. And just a level of professionalism across every single person within the chief outsiders group that I've met. Um, that's a consistent thread that I've seen. So that's wonderful. 
Um, how do you feel like you have seen the marketing space and maybe some of your experience yourself um, evolve and kind of be forced to innovate over the past few years about how we're getting our message out to customers and, and to, to prospects? How have you seen things kind of innovate and change in the last few years? Yeah, well, I've been in digital marketing for a very long time at this point, <laughs> you know, over 20 years, believe it or not. And and certainly the just plethora of channels that have come up, even if you just take, if you take just social media, yeah, then um, so many different channels. And then, you know, with texting and chat, I mean, those were barely around. Certainly chat was very nascent. And I've seen entire car sales happen in chat. And of course, now the chat bots are getting more intelligent. There's still a lot of issues there, but I think it's really that technology has been such a driver on the one side and then consumer patterns changing. And, it, and it's really fascinating. If you follow a guy, Jason Dorsey, mm -hmm. he's a, really a demographer and um, he studies Gen Z a lot. And it's, mm -hmm. it's fascinating because one of the things that I heard him say is that the, the, generation that behaves the most similar worldwide is gen z and mm -hmm. it's because of these it's because oh. of it's because they all have access to phones and they have a lot more access to information so you know technology combined with consumer adoption of that yeah and a challenge and you know the biggest thing is uh, the biggest mistake i see people make is just race to the latest newest thing without really figuring out. So one example would be just going to a chat bot and forgetting to have a way for people to actually reach a human and yeah. that chat bot not being able to answer a lot of the questions. And then people are just kind of stuck and they hit a dead end and they leave. Yeah. You know, the other would be in social media where people just race to go to the next new channel without really giving consideration to, are there customers in that channel? Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're an industrial company, TikTok may not be the first place you want to go, like LinkedIn, just for yeah. example. A lot of times people are trying to almost be like peanut butter, as my friend Randy says, and just spread so thin. And, and I would suggest that focusing on a couple core ways to reach your audience is, is the best way to go about that. Yeah. Yeah. I see this a lot where people, they just, they, they hear one person say, I should do this, or they see that it's popular in other industries and they don't really give much thought to, is this the right application for me uh, in my industry? Is my audience here? Can I, do I have the uh, the personality to, to do well on this platform? Are we willing to make video in the case of TikTok? Um, and, and I have clients, they come and they, they talk to me about, well, we wanna be on TikTok, you know, and just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. And, but nobody's willing to get in front of a camera, you know, and, and then it's like, well, we can give you suggestions. We can give you, you know, some best practices, but ultimately there are a few make or break things. And like you're saying, certain industries, it's, it's just not always worth your time. <laughs> and uh, well, a lot of people, the no, if your audience isn't there, why waste your time? Is it just to look trendy? If that's, if that's your only reason, I don't know that that's reason enough. So and you have to monitor those channels too. So I was doing some work for a cosmetics company. Yeah. And, I mean, TikTok is huge in cosmetics. Sure. Right? 
got um, a girl, Nikki, I think is her name. She does all these videos and a lot of how-to videos and things, mm -hmm. but you know, this particular client of ours on TikTok, other people could post videos and I'm not sure it's clear to that end consumer, which videos are from the company and which are just random people posting. So you really have to monitor and you know look at what people are posting. And it, it also can be a big customer service channel as well. Yes. I know just personal, you know, focus group of one. If I have a problem with Verizon, I'm probably not going to get through on the phone. I'm going to go to Facebook. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to get and, and they do respond. So yeah, that's the other interesting thing is just the way that people where people go for help and reviews, you know, people looking at less, less about advertising and more what are other people saying? And again, it's category by category. Totally. You know, tech company, you're going to G2 or Captera or software advice, one of those types of companies. If you're a consumer, maybe there's some BB, BBB stuff. There could be Yelp if you're local. There, there could yep. be Trustpilot. So there's a lot of Google reviews. So there's just, there's so many things to manage now that um, that's probably the biggest challenge for most smaller and mid-sized companies for sure that don't have big staffs is how do you, how do you just, how do you try to manage all that? And I think the biggest thing is to probably to figure out, make that hard decision of what not to do. Cause it's yeah. very hard to do it all well, monitor it all well, measure it all well. That's the yeah. other piece. A lot of times people, they don't know what to measure. They're measuring the wrong numbers. Yeah. Well, and I think too, people forget that any new channel that you build up, you have to build followers. And if you just have a few measly followers on one channel, you know, you don't have the social proof that if you'd focus your energy on just your core platforms that you already have a decent following at, um, you already have the social proof there. People already are going to trust and, you know, feel like, oh, that's a legitimate brand to follow versus trying to spread yourself thin and build an audience everywhere. I, I think people underestimate the the power and how much work actually goes into building that follower base. Yep. And the other thing is, you know, there's, there's really three different levels of engagement in social, right? There's sort of the passive, I, I call it applause, right? I, yeah. I, like, I liked it or I followed it. So yeah. it's very easy, just a little click. Then there's conversation where people are spending the time to put a comment on. And then there's what you really want is the sharing. So the amplification of it. Yep. I, a lot of times I'll see when I'm analyzing a company and their competitors, just not really thinking about what's going to drive engagement and how to engage people. So instead of posting things that are just very self-centered, we speak of where we do this, mm -hmm. we trying to do things that engage people. So that could be by asking a question. It could be by posting a poll. Uh, I'm starting to see that a lot more on LinkedIn. People in their posts are putting polls, trying to get that in engagement. So yeah, uh, you know, that's the other piece of it is a lot of times I had a company that was in the B2B outsourcing world and they would post the same things on LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. So some of the things were people in the call center and their coffee mug. Mm -hmm. um, not really appropriate for LinkedIn. Great for Facebook because they did need to recruit a lot of people. They did a right. lot of service work, but thinking about what's appropriate by the channel from a content standpoint, if those channel, if multiple channels are appropriate for you, your right. audience is there, or you have different audiences. In this case, they need to recruit employees. And then they also had B2B decision makers. So what is what are the right messages for each of those audiences and use the channels for 
for what's going to be best for that, for that audience and for that channel. What, yeah. are, what are people using it for? I mean, people are using LinkedIn for work, for education, for networking, things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different factors to think through, um, that a lot of people just think, oh, we're just going to blast this out and not put a lot of thought. I think that's the main thing of what I've seen with folks in your type of role is you really put, help people put the strategy back into the conversation on a regular basis. Um, is there a specific um, kind of niche or specific type of client that you really gravitate towards that you help, uh, you know, that, that really is, has been an area of focus for you? Well, our focus is, is definitely on companies that are looking to grow. And mm -hmm. often the CEO has a great vision for growth, but they're not sure how to get there. They're not sure they have the right team. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're so busy working in the business, just managing the day-to-day -day of the business. That they can't really work on the business and focus on how to grow. And some of that, you know, when you're looking at strategy is what markets should they be in? You know, yeah. What, where, where is the, and where's the white space for them? What, where is the unique opportunity for them? So it's really companies that are wanting to grow. We tend to work with um, sort of mid-sized companies, 10 million to about 300 million. Mm -hmm. um, we have CMOs with industry expertise across most any industry at this point. So I focus a little more on consumer and direct-to-consumer digital types of businesses, e-com, but you know, I'm also doing aircraft parts right now. <laughs> Um, you know, a company that buys distressed homes, things like that. So, and then I've got partners who are working in industrials and B2B and SaaS software, financial services, a whole bunch of people in healthcare. So industry, we kind of have everything covered. And I would say same with functional areas, but it really is that size, that person that's looking to take it to the next level, that yeah. $10 million company that's trying to get to, to 20 million and then 50 million. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It sounds like, um, it sounds like you are, are probably similar to me and that it's kind of fun to work with some of these other things that, you know, how many people are specialists in airport or airplane parts? Right. Um, I know that there's a few, but as far as marketing experts go, um, you know, that'd be really hard to find, but having somebody who's willing to learn and interested in learning, you know, the basic business model of what they're going after, but learning the nuances of their specific product, it's kind of a fun thing to kind of dig in and get in the weeds on. Um, you don't have to be the expert on it all the time, but you right. can be a good third-party perspective and learn enough to help portray their message properly, but also have that, you know, um, what's the word? Um, you don't know enough so that you will explain it in a way that anyone could understand you know, you're able to help kind of translate it to the public. Exactly. And I think that's the biggest value that a strategic marketer is going to bring or a good marketer um, is thinking about things from the customer perspective. And, and I wrote a blog a few years ago about technology companies because so many of them, they want to feature preach, tell you all about their product, what their product can do, we, 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 we. And they don't really get at the, the heart of what is the problem that you solve for yeah. the customer. So it comes down to really understanding what is the customer's pain? What is the problem that they recognize they have that they want to solve? And it's always interesting when we get into a client because they might come to us saying, we need a new, new website and we don't build websites, but that might be where the conversation starts. Right. right? 
And, and then what we discover is they're really not clear about who their customer is. Mm. They, they haven't developed an ideal customer profile. They don't have personas of the customer that really help them visualize and picture who that customer is. Where do they go for information? Who do they trust for information? I mean, right. That's the kind of information I want to see in a persona or I'm going to include when I'm building one because you need to. And then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, so what do they need from the company? Mm-hmm. What type of information? And then the other piece is just figuring out how you move them along the sales. I don't necessarily like to use the word funnel because I don't think it's that clean anymore of how things right. work. But still the customer journey, how do you, how do you move them along? What's the information they need at kind of each stage along the way? What type of reassurance, what types of questions are they going to have? When is it appropriate to suggest a demo? Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be right away. And you can end up wasting a lot of time doing demos for people that really aren't qualified. So that's one of the big challenges on the B2B side I see is how do you, how do you qualify prospects so that right. you your salespeople, by the time your salespeople or spending time with them, it really is a good use of their time. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, the the whole process. I mean, there, there's just so many nuances there, but having somebody to walk you through how to do it and having that third-party perspective to not be right up seeing it so close, like so many business owners and CEOs do, they're so ingrained in what they do. They need that third-party perspective. It's very valuable. Yeah, and um, subjective and you can, and and I think sometimes, I mean, they don't, people don't pay us to tell them what they want to hear. They yeah. to tell them what they need to hear. And we are that outside person. Now, yeah. you know, that's that a lot of times we'll be very integrated into their teams. We might be on their leadership calls. I just got off a call with a client where I'm mm. managing the marketing team there. Yeah. So we do that, but we're also not bogged down with, you know, the, the politics of an organization or things like that. We're also not trying to be there forever and be furniture, just friend Ian says, Um, you know, we're trying to help them build a growth engine and put the right resources in place so that, you know, eventually they can do it themselves. Now, sometimes they want us to stay on as an advisor, which might be, you know, a couple calls a week. And they just want to keep having that outside sounding board to to keep pushing on things. Yeah, that's so important. Um. You know, what is, I'm, I'm curious, you know, with all your experience here, um, whether it's with a client or just you uh, on a personal level, what's been a, a good win that you've experienced recently that you just really um, felt very accomplished by or just celebrated, whether it was internally or externally, really celebrated and, and found some joy in? You know, I worked with um, a father and daughter team um, that has a small dementia facility here Mm -hmm. in the D.C. area, and it'd been around for 23 years, and I was working with them. I did a lot of voice of customer research to really understand the, and I interviewed employees as well as people who had placed their loved ones in in this facility, and um, from that research and talking firsthand to customers as well as people who work there, I just got this very clear sense of what made them special. And I remember going through a proposed positioning statement with them. And the daughter said to me, she said, oh my gosh, you know, we've been at this for 23 years trying to figure out how to talk about ourselves and you just figured it out. This is perfect. And so it was really great because it's such a good, I mean, what they do is, is amazing. And and what their differentiator is their care. They give incredible care and it's because they do care. So I I don't remember this point what the positioning statement was, but I just remember her saying that, that we've tried and and you figured this out. That's so so great. 
that and was I love fun. that. I mean, I'm sure that they make some sort of a profit in what they do, but the fact that there's a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose behind the work that they're doing, that's gotta, that's gotta be like an extra cherry on top as far as a win goes, because you're really helping them reach and help other people in the process as well. So that's wonderful. Um, how about if something, when something didn't go so well, I mean, we've all been there. We've all had those experiences where either something wasn't a fit or a plan we had just didn't go as we expected. Um, what do you have any experience like that, that, um, where you, things just didn't quite go exactly as you planned and, and how did you, how did you respond to that? How did you, how did you position that to, um, to learn from that and to grow? Hmm. So I think the things where things have go sideways, it comes down to relationship and communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, sometimes personality can, can wade into that. So yeah. I had a client um, in the past couple of years where the CEO just had such strong opinions about everything mm-hmm. and micromanaged everything. So we really couldn't do our best work. Yeah. Um, and there were a number of times where the CEO would say, well, everybody knows that. And we'd go out and research, find out not everyone knows that. So we'd suggest mm-hmm. language that was educational, that would explain something, um, but we, we'd constantly get overruled. So we really couldn't do our best work yeah. and the CEO wasn't happy. Um, and I don't know at the end, I've reflected back on it a lot and I don't know. I mean, he definitely knew what he wanted. Um, it, it did, I, I just don't think it got articulated in a way that we were really understanding it. And yeah. You know, sometimes those types of relationships, sometimes you can work it out and sometimes you can't. And I think if you can't, it's probably better to end the engagement. Yeah. um, Rather than to try to just to to keep fighting up a hill um, when there's just too much of a difference of opinions. Yeah. Again, I go back to insights. So if I've gone and done the research on the market, the company, the customer, the competition, and I'm bringing those insights into the strategy, I feel very confident that when I get to execution, it's going to be based on a very sound strategy. Um, But when it reverts to just one person's opinion, you're kind of dead in the water. So that would be the lesson I learned. And I think I'm probably just going to be more cautious and looking out for that earlier on. And and (laughs) it's hard to, you know, when you're in a role and you want business, it's, it's sometimes hard to walk away, but it's the right thing. And I have walked away from some prospects and it was the right thing to do. No regrets. Sometimes Sometimes it's not a fit. We're not the right fit for everybody. Yeah. So we just have to, I think you have to just be bold and and realize that and look for ones that are the right fit because there are plenty of opportunities out there. Agreed. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a lesson I've learned is, is trying to learn from bad experiences like that. Cause I've had my own experiences here and there where personality style, we are just very opposite. Um, communication is just clearly like ships passing in the night and how we're communicating. And, um, yeah, it's, it's important to know when to say we're done, you know, and any, you know, part respectfully, but just when to say no, to something. Um, and then to learn from that of, okay, how can I prevent this in the future? You know, what are the personality styles? And I'm not a huge fan of personality tests. I, I find them a little bit interesting, but if you asked me what my Myers-Briggs, what, you know, categorization was, or, you know, what my Enneagram number is, I don't know that I could tell you off the top of my head. I'm not 
one of those people that just obsesses and, you know, dives deep into that. But I do think there's some value in understanding what personality styles you work well with uh, Mm -hmm. and which ones you don't. And if you can pick up on some of those cues ahead of time in that initial conversation or at the beginning, you know, um, that can be very, very helpful, can save you a lot of headaches down the road. Yeah. Well, I'm also a certified coach. So I'm very familiar with Enneagram and I'm a seven and a seven is a person that has many, many different interests. And it's probably why I like consulting. Yeah. I have different industries, different clients, different businesses. So I'm very familiar with that. And the coaching comes in and it's interesting. I'm thinking back to um, a Dr. Phil saying another piece of just this, this one of them that went sideways and, you know, people treat you the way you let them. Mm-hmm. And the other, I think the other lesson I've learned is I'm not going to let myself be abused and exactly be treated in, in a way, a disrespectful way, because, you know, I'm glad you said it earlier, but I do feel like everyone in the company where I'm working, we are very respectful of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's just, that's, um, that's just good business. And oh, for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you take that, you have those bad experiences and you, you learn from them, Yeah, take what you can and <laughs> move on. And I've just learned over the years to, you know, there's a point at which I can't waste any more emotional energy on something. And that's, that's right. hard. You know, when you really care about doing a good job for people, it's really hard to let some of that go and just men- emotionally and mentally detach yourself to move on. But like you said earlier, you know, there's other opportunities out there. And when you say no to one thing, it usually opens up the space to be available to say yes to something that is a better fit. So, so yeah, I'm glad you shared all that. Um, you know, if, if you were to kind of leave those listening to today's, uh, conversation with, um, one or two tips of just, if you wanted to go out and get uh, your next win in marketing, you wanted to, whether it was a baby step or a big step, um, what advice would you give someone if they're going after their next marketing win? You know, do your homework, do your research, talk to customers, um, look at what your competitors saying. I mean, the piece I always do is I'll look at what is their top line messaging, maybe their tagline, what are the top key messages on their site? And it was interesting. Yeah coworker called me the other day and said, Hey, can you just help me a little bit with some branding and positioning stuff, messaging? Mm. I said, sure. And he said, you know, it's just a sea of sameness. Like everyone's saying the same thing. And he showed yeah. me what they were saying. And it was really true. Interesting. Um, so doing the research to, and, and figuring out who really is the customer, what is the pain point that they have and what is the value that, that you can bring yeah. to them? Cause if, if you don't understand the customer and the market, nothing else is going to be, is going to work well. Mm. So I just always go back to do, do your insights. And that's a lot of the work I'm doing right now. I'm doing voice of customer. So zoom interviews, phone interviews, um, doing some more. So also some quantitative on the survey side. Yeah. And it's just amazing what you can find. It, yeah. I, I mean, this survey we looked at, we, I was evaluating creative campaigns for another chief outsider Mm. And it was fascinating to see the differences of opinions. And in this case, there were some pretty big differences between male and female. Interesting. Um, and, and you have to look at the ends of the spectrum, right? The, the ones that people heavily dislike, as well as the ones that people really, really like. And there were very differences in some of mm. it. It's kind of, you know, advertising is creative and there's tone and there's attitude. 
Um, and it was just, it was really fascinating to, mm. to look at the results. So, um, and that will save them a lot of money, right? Yeah. Because in the end, they're going to be able to spend all that money on creative on one that they've researched and they feel confident is going to resonate with the right. customers. Research, right. do your homework. There's so much you can find just online, yeah. um, but there's nothing like talking to real customers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and even just like taking that pause, right. To, to think about and to, to do their research, like you're saying, a lot of people just rush into what they think is going to be the best fit. And they don't actually, even if it's just a little bit of research, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of time to pause and think and can put yourself in the customer's shoe. Right. And it can be, and it can be helpful to have someone that can be positioned as a third party market researcher. Cause oh, people like sure. say, oh, our customers love us. They tell us everything. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so sort of they'll tell an ex an, an external person a little more sometimes and they'll tell the company. They it, it's a lot of times they have a good relationship, but they don't want to get the salesperson in trouble or yep. or whatever. And and I see that all the time when I get on the call with people and it's like, well, tell me a little more about that. Can you give me an example? Um, so they 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 will talk a little more to someone who's a you know, independent party. Yeah. I mean, you see that across the board, whether it's you know, employees wanting to give feedback for the company they work for or clients with the company they've hired. Yeah. That third-party perspective is very powerful. So, so yeah, thank you so much. Um, if, uh, if people want to get more from you, if they want to stay more connected and learn more from you, where can we point them? Yes. Well, bvanstory at chiefoutsiders.com. So maybe that will end up on this video on screen. I'll um, put it in the show notes. <laughs> sure. You can look at my LinkedIn profile. I've got a bio on our website as well. Um, definitely check out the website, chiefoutsiders.com. And I'm always happy to have a free 30 minute call with somebody just to hear what's going on. And if I think we can help them, we can talk about the, find the right CMOs. And if we can't, we'll tell them that too, because we're yeah. not the right fit for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Well, not an agency, you know, we're not trying to sell campaigns, right. Trying to make sure that you really understand your customer and that you have the right strategy and then we'll help you find the right agency. We yeah. can even manage them. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Beth, thanks so much for sharing so much amazing wisdom today. Um, and, and just sharing a little bit about your past and opening up about some vulnerable things as well. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to sharing this conversation with others. Great. Well, I look forward to us getting to work together again, Valerie. Yeah. Thanks, Beth. Okay. Bye. Bye. If you liked what you just heard, please hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our future episodes. And while you're at it, go ahead and leave us a review. That not only helps us out, but it helps others discover great interviews just like this one.